Well, our evening series all through this week will be in the book of Judges. So Bible timeline-wise, that's around 1300 BC. Um, And this evening's reading is uh, from Judges chapter 2 and 3, starting at chapter 2, verse 6. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Herez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hevites living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath, They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given the ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, 
Hevites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Well, thank you very much, uh, Becca, for reading that. When there are all those names like that, don't you secretly think to yourself, I'm so glad I wasn't picked to be the reader for tonight. <laughs> she did so well. Uh, I want to direct your attention, particularly this evening, to Judges chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, about Othniel. Not exactly a household name. And it might even be that you're thinking, well, we've made it to Keswick, we've managed to find the accommodation, we've squelched our way here, we're tired after the journey. And here we've got a history lesson from the Bronze Age, 3,300 years ago. Is this what we want to start at Keswick Convention? It seems so obscure and so far off. But there is a direct connection between the book of Judges and us. It's easy and it's simple. And it's this. The hero of these true stories is the same God in whose name we meet this evening. All that time ago, he was doing something quite extraordinary. The creator of heaven and earth was giving one people on earth uniquely the special privilege of getting to know him up close and personal. We're talking about the people of Israel, whom God had saved out of Egypt. He rescued them, and he spoke to them, and he was pastoring them. And that means that even though this is a book from a long, long time ago, in a world which in many ways is unfamiliar to us, we're learning about the character of God. Because, of course, we learn about someone's character from the things that they say and the things that they do and the way that they deal with people. And we're going to be learning about the character of our God, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what he does, how he deals with his people, how he deals with his church. And we're going to learn quite a lot about ourselves as well. And all that means that these evenings this week, as we open this book of Judges, and I gather from James, our ministry director, we haven't had a series of talks from the front on the book of Judges for at least 30 years here at the convention. It's time we did it again. It means that as we read this ancient book, we're going to be having an encounter with the living God in whose presence we meet this evening. So it is that we join the story at a turning point in the history of the Israelites. There's just been a death 
as the book of Judges begins. Joshua, the fine and godly leader who'd led the people of God into the promised land across the Jordan and for them to occupy the land, has died. And the question arises, how are they going to get on without his godly leadership? He'd been a person who'd led them with the priority of the word of God. He'd been instructed by God not to let this book depart from his mouth, but to meditate on it. He led them as a faithful leader, but now he's dead. What's going to happen? Well, I'm sorry to say, as the story begins, it has a very disappointing start. Take a look at verse 7 of Judges chapter 3. The Lord's people forget him. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. I want you to imagine for a moment that you step into a time machine, and you go back from Keswick just for a day to ancient Israel in the days of the judges, and you've prepared carefully for this trip through time by reading the Lonely Planet Guide to Time Travel to Ancient Israel. And you're all psyched as you arrive at the house of Joe Israelite and his wife, Debbie. Uh, You come in for a meal, and you've been taught to expect that there are people who are going to talk a lot about their God, the Lord, uh, and that they're big on these things called the Ten Commandments. They're careful to follow those. They never make idols of, of gods or follow those and that they're big on going to the tabernacle, gathering to offer sacrifices, and so on. Well, they welcome you into their home, and they're very hospitable, but as you sit there, the surprises begin to mount up. It's time to give thanks before the meal. And they say, we want to give thanks to Lord Baal and Lady Asherah. And they say, well, actually, that's that's Baal and Asherah's shrine in the garden there, little statues of them we've got there. You say, hang on a minute, I thought this was something which you weren't supposed to do from these commandments you have. Oh, yes, I, I, th- I think we've got something a bit more modern than those commandments now. You say, well, where did you learn this, uh, this thing about Baal and Asherah from? Actually, it's my lovely Canaanite neighbours just down the road. They're so sweet. They say it's really fun worshipping Baal and Asherah, and besides which, our son has married their daughter. Well, yes, we've heard of the Ten Commandments, but we thought there's a more flexible way to live. The Asherah priests showed us that. That's the kind of situation that is being described here in the book of Judges. The people who belong to the Lord, which is the name for the God of the Bible, uh, have started to desert him and follow other gods. Now, the question is, how has this actually come about? You might think it's because they've had some massive philosophical mind shift. But the verse tells us it's something subtler and in a way less exciting. The verse simply says they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. It was as simple as this. What had once been a vivid memory to them had faded like an old print photograph, like the photograph of your granny that sits on the shelf and is slowly fading away. Well, you might say, well, how could you forget the kind of things that had happened to them? Because in the story so far, it had been so exciting. They'd been delivered out of Egypt across the Red Sea, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, the journey across the desert, the manna, the quail, the water from the rock, the miraculous crossing of the Jordan and a whole load of other things in more recent memory, the capture of Jericho and all the rest of it. How can you forget all of that? 
The answer comes if you flick back just a page into verse 10 of chapter 2. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that is Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he'd done for Israel. Somehow, the wonderful news of the living God and uh, the true stories of the people's encounter with him had not been passed on by the generation who'd experienced them to the next generation. So another generation grew up who didn't know him and who didn't know his wonderful deeds. And as his photo gradually faded and faded, the color drained out of it, the nice people next door with their Baal and Asherah worship, which seemed so exciting and so up-to-date, seemed more attractive. They deserted the Lord, and it started simply with forgetting him. Now today we might think, if we have the privilege of knowing how wonderful it is to have a personal friendship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we would never forget him. We've got too much to remember to forget, if you see what I mean. The amazing saving events of that first Easter, his death on the cross, his glorious resurrection from the dead, the way he's opened up the way for sinners to come to know God. We think, well, we can't possibly forget that, can we? Except that when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we find that there too, forgetting the Lord is a permanent danger for God's people. Have a look sometime at Paul's last written work in the New Testament, his second letter to Timothy. And written all over that letter is the apostle nears the end of his life is a concern that the next generation will forget the gospel and the church will wander from its Lord. So he says to his younger colleague Timothy, who's fairly alone in the city of Ephesus, pressing on in ministry, guard the good deposit. Guard. If you picture the guards outside Buckingham Palace or something, standing there with their guns. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Don't lose it. See, when we forget, we too can wander off after other gods. There could be other religions, but I think more commonly it works something like this. As the real Jesus and the real God, the Father, fade out of our thinking, they begin to become replaced by a Jesus and a God, the Father, of our human imagination and design. Years ago, I came across a quote in a book which has lived with me since then. I thought about it so much. The writer says this, let the scriptures cease to be heard and soon the remembered Christ becomes an imagined Christ shaped by the religiosity and unconscious desires of the worshippers. The remembered Christ becomes the imagined Christ. The Christ who's vivid to us and experiencing in the Gospels is gradually replaced by a, I like to think of Jesus as this or I like to think of God as this. And our imaginations start to get to work. And actually what we're doing is we're, in a sense, creating a God in our own mind, of our own design. It's happened in many churches. There's talk about Jesus. There's talk about God the Father. 
But actually, these are not Jesus and the Father of the Bible. And it begins with forgetting. And you know, the scary thing about this kind of forgetting is that you don't know that you're doing it. So it's not like, it's not like the kind of forgetting that we all get as we get older and you can't remember your, your PIN number or your spouse's name or something like that. <laughs> not talking about senior moments. I'm talking about the kind of memories of things which we just hadn't realised that we'd forgotten. You find an old pile of photos at home or something like that. You think, Goodness, I'd completely forgotten we'd seen those people on that occasion. Or somebody rings up from the past and reminds us about something we'd said. Oh yes, I'd forgotten that. Or we hear a talk, a sermon somewhere. Perhaps we went a bit unwillingly to church. And we come out and think, and think, I so needed to hear that. That was a glorious truth which had slipped from my thinking. Have you not had that experience? I've had that experience. And I think, where would I have been if I hadn't had that reminder? Which is why, incidentally, Bible ministry is so essential for us and for our spiritual well-being. Much faithful Bible ministry is reminding us of our God in all his glory and wonder, reminding us of the gospel, reminding us so that he stays in vivid color in our minds. You know, war memorials have written at the bottom on lest we forget That should be written at the bottom of every pulpit in a church, lest we forget. The pastor's job is to remind us of these things. I need those reminders. And perhaps one of the great reasons we've all come together this week at Keswick is to be reminded of the glorious truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I always think of our trip to Keswick when Rachel and I come here uh, as being a bit like taking a car in for the service. It's a sort of annual massive service. Every Sunday service is a mini-service of that kind. Every Keswick Convention, we get a service. And let's be praying that God will remind us of his truth so that he's vivid in our minds again. That will keep us from wandering. We see next here, and secondly, and this is, a, this is quite a point to take in, that the anger of the Lord burns against his people. Verse 8. It says here, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharim, uh, and uh, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. It's a very strong reaction to hear about the Lord being angered at this wandering. But Bible readers will know that this stems from something really wonderful in the heart of God. The depth of his anger at this stems from the depths of his relationship with them. This is the anger of a spouse who is being two-timed by his people. And so it is that the Lord feels this anger and he expresses it by handing his people. God is the sovereign over history, king of kings and lord of lords. He hands them over to this uh, king, Cushion. Rishathaim. I found it a bit difficult to get my tongue around this man's name. I thought of, well, why don't we call him Cushy uh, for short? The trouble is he wasn't Cushy. That, that, that one way of translating his name could be uh, double wickedness. He was not a ruler that you would want. It was an awful tyrant to have ruling over them. 
But this is what God does to his people. They've decided to serve other gods, and the punishment fits the crime. They can now serve a king who serves other gods too. And again we ask, could this happen to us? Well, God is the same. We must be very careful in analyzing our situation. We can't read Providence without the help of the Bible. But it's certainly true that the sad story of the older Christian denominations in our country is one of forgetting the Lord because of a lack of Bible preaching. And what happens next? Well, that God fades from collective memory. And like Joe Israelite, we tend to go for other gods, gods of our own imagining, and very often gods of the surrounding culture. And the church, which is called to be the light of the world, stops being a light and becomes a mirror to the world. And when you visit it, all you see is the world's values reflected and a church in pathetic slavery to the culture. Society changes and the church feels it's got to catch up. It just normally does it a couple of decades later. And you go on a Sunday and all you hear is the religious version of public opinion. And of course, that being the case, why bother to go to church on a Sunday? You could get the same stuff from the HR department of work or around the water cooler or from your neighbor or secular marches and festivals. And tragically, the amazing news of who God is and his wonderful ways, his gospel is forgotten. It's no surprise then that Sunday numbers in denominations which have moved like this have plummeted. So it is then that in churches around our country, people can't hear this wonderful truth. And as the numbers go down, people out there say quite wrongly, of course, Christianity is dying out. And the headline for the original readers, and it is for us, is it will never go better for the churches if we forget our God, the God of the Bible, and turn to the world's ways. It never, ever will. Now, maybe that we're thankful to belong to a Bible-teaching church, and actually the statistics show that those are the churches which are holding their numbers and growing. But we should not be complacent. Please pray that in our own churches we stay faithful and their Bible-teaching churches and that we do not forget the wonderful good news that God has entrusted us with. So here we have the Lord's anger expressed. But do you know what? Here, even in his anger expressed to his people, there's a kind of note of hope. Because if God hadn't handed his people over to Cushan Rishathaim, Israel would never have got the message, would they? They'd never have realized that something had gone wrong. They'd never have come to their senses. But the wonderful thing is that after eight years of being subjected to this evil power, they came to their senses like the prodigal, and they cried out to the Lord, and Judges tells us what happened next. The Lord shows amazing grace. When they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The spirit of the Lord came on him, so he became Israel's judge and went to war. 
the Lord gave Cush and Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. We're not told a lot about Othniel. Some of these other characters we're going to meet during uh, the week. Wait till we meet the left-handed man tomorrow. Or, or brave Debbie, uh, who we're going to meet later in the week. And then uh, timid Gideon and all the rest. We're not told very much about Othniel. But what we are told is that it was God who raised him up. It was God who put his spirit on him. And it was God who delivered uh, uh, whatever he's called again, Cushan Rishathaim, into his hands. And the message is this. God saved his people. And we should be surprised by that in the context. I hope we don't just brush this off and think, well, that's what God does. It should surprise us. Because they've just spent all this time two-timing him. The Israelites haven't got a leg to stand on before God. They've been rejecting him. They've been thinking that they know better. And, of course, they, did, they deserve everything that's come their way. And yet, here's the wonderful thing. As soon as they ask, God saves. That is God's amazing grace. Grace is always amazing, isn't it? By definition. And God Save them in his amazing grace. And of course, by now, we should be thinking not just of Israel's rescue, but ours. The title that James, our ministry director, gave for tonight is this. Salvation is patterned. There's a pattern that is set here for the book of Judges. God's people straying. And tragically, that was a, a, a thing they did again and again and again. And that's a bit of a lesson to us about our human nature. And yet again and again and again, God's sending saviors. These judges are actually savior figures uh, in the book uh, all the way through. Here, verse 9, he's called a deliverer. Othniel is a deliverer. And in the Bible, they are, of course, warm-up acts for the great savior that God would one day send his son our Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of us in this uh, uh, tent tonight has a leg to stand on, do we, before God, morally. But at the astonishing personal expense of the cross, Christ came for us at his Father's bidding as his gift to us to save us and freely extend his hands to forgive us. And if the book of Judges is going to show us, and it will show us in a very humbling way this week, our waywardness and God's anger at that, it's also, above all, a wonderful story of his salvation. Again and again, the people wander. And you think of God's patience in the book of Judges. is like an elastic band. You know, you're pulling it harder and harder and harder, wondering when it's going to snap, and somehow it doesn't seem to. His mercy is more. Now, for you and I personally, it may well be that as we arrive at Keswick this evening, we're carrying all kinds of burdens of one kind or another from the past year. But it might also be that we come feeling kind of spiritually disconnected or out of it, or aware of sin in our life, or even aware that we ourselves 
are drifting. Of course, with drifting, sometimes we don't realize it. Drifting for a, somebody sailing at sea, you don't realize it until you see a different thing on the, uh, the land going past you. But you might be drifting, and you might be just beginning to realize that you're drifting. Or you might be aware of sin in your life, and you think if the other people in the room knew, I, 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 I should never be here. Well, remember God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. I don't doubt that he's brought you here this week to remind you of the wonder of who he is as we hear from him from Judges and Colossians and to draw you right back to himself. May this week at Keswick be a week of reminder and restoration. There's a lovely children's chorus that I remember seeing when I was much younger, which goes like this. I won't try singing it. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. That is a, there's a door that is open where you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Could that be you tonight or this week? Every week. Uh, that we kept Rachel and I, every year when Rachel and I come here to serve at Keswick Convention, we, we come to serve. And it's our characteristic experience of going back thinking, thank you, Lord, we so needed to hear what we heard. And you've reminded us of things. And you've helped us remember your grace. It might be that we recognize what we read about in Judges corporately. Because it's very much about the people of God and the church corporately in our local church, or even our denomination. The passage is a serious warning to our churches and our Christian denominations, if you belong to one, about the dangers of forgetting and the divine displeasure which we will incur if we choose to be mirrors to the world rather than a light in the world. Things, if we continue that way, will go very, very badly. But... The book of Judges is also there to remind us very powerfully that that's not the way God wants it to be. Remember, as soon as the people cried out, God raised up a saviour for them. And without presuming on him, doesn't that fact give us confidence to plead with him where our churches have become unfaithful and our denominations unfaithful, that God will have mercy and bring restoration? He may not save the denominations. He has pledged he will be with his people in the local church when we're faithful. It might be by raising up new uh, little Othniels, Bible teachers, who remind us and show us the real God. Uh, in our church in, um, uh, down in, the, in, in Cambridge, uh, this year we've got uh, a couple of guys who are heading out towards uh, training for full-time Christian ministry. And one of these guys, he wants to be in ministry because of his own family's story. They lived in a village in the East Midlands. I still do. And the family was converted uh, because a minister some years ago came to take over in their local parish church where there had been no gospel preached previously. It just been sort of uh, organ and flower arranging, I think. And this guy came probably a bit like Othniel, the Spirit of God came on him. And as I was thinking, Othniel must have thought to himself, this is a terrible situation to be under the jackpot of, 
I can't keep saying his name, Kishan, whatever he's called. And this man, this minister, went to this place with the desire of thinking it's a terrible situation that people in this area cannot go to their local church and hear the wonderful news of the Lord Jesus. And he started to preach Christ. And this whole family came to know Jesus through that. And this younger man now wants to be in ministry because he wants to go and do exactly the same thing somewhere else. We should be praying for that kind of outcome to the God who is the God of amazing grace. God has done it before. The book of Judges shows us. Shall we pray to that God now in a moment of quiet? Lord, we are humbled by this passage which tells us how your people are capable of forgetting things and particularly forgetting you. Please, please keep us from forgetting you and your wonderful deeds. We pray for every activity that seeks to help the next generation to hear this truth as well. We pray that you'll keep us vigorous in our local churches and as individuals passing this news on to others and to future generations. Please keep us from serving other gods or making up our own imaginary views of you or simply reflecting the culture around us and surrendering to it in uh, uh, slavery to the culture. Thank you for your amazing grace when your people come to their senses and pray to you. Help each one of us this week to know more of that, to be restored and strengthened and refreshed where we need to be, and for our churches too. And we pray today that you will call our churches to repentance, to rediscover the good news of the gospel, and raise up many more uh, to be those who will tell others this news in the churches and beyond. Have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.